The Bible says you're to live a life of godliness. But what does that really mean? Surely God doesn't expect you to be perfect, does He? Today, on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers this question addressed in Peter's epistles and paints an encouraging picture of your identity in Christ. From the series, Everything You Need, here's David to introduce today's message, Christ-like Character. You know, one of the qualities of a Christian, one of the goals of a Christian is to become more and more like Christ. When I was growing up, we used to sing a chorus. I don't remember all the words, but the first part of the chorus was like this, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. All I want is to be like him. And it would go on and talk about what that meant. The Bible says that we are being changed from glory to glory. Ultimately, one day we shall be like him. The Bible says we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. In the meantime, we're in the process of becoming like Christ. And we're going to talk about that today as we continue our discussion of everything you need. A wonderful discussion of the passage of Scripture in the book of Second Peter. The Bible tells us that we have everything we need for life and godliness. One of those things is a Christ-like character. We'll get to it in just a moment. But first, if you haven't already done so, I hope you will take notice today of our special resource for this month. It's a book that we uh, discovered right off the press. It's brand new. It hasn't even been in the bookstores yet. From our good friend, Rob Morgan, it's called The Mediterranean Sea Rules. And let me tell you about it. It's from the book of Acts, a passage in the book of Acts, where we have the record of a shipwreck that involved Paul. Uh, And what happened in that moment when Paul was in control, when he was the leader of a bunch of people who were really frightened, how God used him to bring them safely all to land. The principles from that are what this book is all about, the Mediterranean Sea Rules, 10 God-given strategies for navigating life's tempestuous sea. This book is yours for the asking during the month of February for a gift of any size. And we encourage you to make it your best gift, but whatever the size of your gift, ask for your copy of this book, and it will be on its way to you before you know it. Now let's get started with part one of Christ-like Character. Nate Roman lives in Marlboro, Massachusetts. He came home from work one day to discover that someone had broken into his house. But when he began to look around, nothing was missing. In fact, instead of having taken something, the intruder had cleaned Roman's house from top to bottom. Spick and span. Cleaner than it had ever been before. The rugs were vacuumed, the beds were made, the bathrooms were scrubbed, and even the toilet paper was adorned with origami roses. (laughs) I don't know why he ever did this, but Roman called the police. (laughs) And unfortunately, by the time the police got there, they realized the evidence had been, well, swept away. (laughs) It was what you call a clean crime scene. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of funny now when you think about it. Uh, Roman said, I kept the toilet paper roses as a souvenir. (laughs) And he thought, how did this happen? And he wondered maybe some cleaning crew got the wrong address. But there really isn't any good explanation for that episode. And I know before I go away from this story, probably some of you'd like to know how to get in touch with that particular intruder. (laughs) That'd be really helpful to you, especially when you've been away from home, but... 
As a matter of fact, we all do need to have somebody intrude into our lives and clean us up, don't we? We need to be cleansed from the inside out. We need someone who can disinfect our hearts, clean up our habits, vacuum our values, sweep the dirt out of our minds, launder our motives, spruce up our attitudes, and tidy up our testimonies. We have an instinctive yearning in all of us. I think it's from God to want to feel clean inside. And the Bible speaks of that in 1 Timothy 3.16 in this little phrase, the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness is solved through the person of Jesus Christ. Only one person that I know of can do the deep cleaning that's necessary to make us godly. There's only one. And he isn't going to break through the back door. He's not going to just force himself into your life. The Bible says that Jesus stands outside the door and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Jesus wants to come into our lives. He wants to be a part of our lives, but he only comes by invitation. You don't become a Christian because your parents were Christians. I always tell people that God doesn't have any grandchildren. He just has children. (laughs) If you're not a Christian, it's not because your parents weren't Christians or your parents are Christians. When you become a Christian, it's because you have invited Christ to forgive your sin and come and live within your heart. We have to open the door and let him in. But once we let him in, the Bible says when he becomes our Savior, old things begin to pass away and all things begin to be new. I remember reading a story about a man named Ken James who was driving from Houston to where he lived in Gregory, Texas. And it was in the days back then when service stations had people that came out and actually helped you put your gas in the car and usually washed your windows. So he was in one of those particular stations and the attendant started to wash his windshield. And Ken asked him how he was doing. And the attendant said, well, I'm doing now pretty good. But there was a time when my life was as dirty as your bug-infested windshield. (laughs) And Ken asked him what he meant. He said, my life was a dirty mess until Jesus Christ cleaned me up. That's many years ago, but he said he'd never forgotten this young man's simple statement. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're cleansed and forgiven and we're on our way to heaven. But we aren't perfect yet. Can I get a witness? We have to keep washing our windshields, as it were. Growing in godliness is a lifelong process. I've been at it for 50 years and sometimes I feel like I haven't even started. And this is what Peter is telling us In the great passage we're studying today, remember how the paragraph opens. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Notice that word. God has already given you everything you need for a godly life. You say, I can't ever be godly. Why not? God's given you everything you need. Isn't that what it says? He's given you everything you need. He's given me everything I need so that I can live a life of godliness. But now Peter tells us in verses 5 and 6 that we're to take our faith, our diligence, our goodness, our knowledge, and we're to add to it godliness. Before you accuse Peter of circular reasoning, remember our approach. God does his part, and we do our part. There's not anything we can do to get to heaven. We have no good works we can offer to God. The only way we get to heaven is by faith, by grace. You can't go to heaven by doing good things. You know why? Because in order to qualify, you've got to be perfect. 
you got to get a 10 on everything. Nobody can do that. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. You can't get to heaven by doing good works. Ephesians says it is not by your works that you get to heaven, but by faith in Jesus Christ. The next verse says, therefore, as Christians, develop good works. This is God's will for you. In other words, we don't do things so we can go to heaven, but once God gives us the gift of eternal life, and we're on our way to heaven, and we're saved, and and we're believers, the Bible says we should devote our lives to good works. God cares about good works. We just got to get them in the right place. They don't come before the cross. They come after the cross. And so these things we're talking about right now, this is a part of the cooperative that we have with God. The Bible says we are to trust God to do in us the first thing. And then when God does in us the first thing, we're to take it from there and develop it in our own lives. This is a divine cooperative. God does his part, and now as Christians, we're to live out the blessing that we have as God's children. So let's just begin here in the right place and ask ourselves the question, what is godliness? What is it? And I don't want to try to be too simple for this, but this is the best answer I know. Godliness is trying to become more like God every day. Which is to say, it's to become more like Christ all the time, because Christ is God in the flesh. I am told that there was once a portrait that hung near the main entrance to the Alamo in San Antonio, and it was said to be of a James Butler Boneham, who died in the battle before his portrait could be finished. His nephew looked so much like him that they went and got him, and he sat in for the rest of the portrait so that future generations would have an idea what the man who died for their freedom looked like. And I want to tell you that Jesus Christ is the earthly portrait of God. The Bible says it this way, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, he has made God known. How do I know God? The Bible says I can't see him. The Bible simply says no man has ever seen God and lived. But God has revealed himself to us by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh. And Jesus Christ came down here because of God's love for us, not only to die on the cross, but to live on this earth for all those years he was here and show us how God would live if he were here because Jesus was God and he was here. So if you want to know what would God do in this situation, you've got to ask yourself, what would Jesus Christ do? You study Christ, and you find out how God works. And if God were to sit for a portrait, you'd see Christ on the canvas. If you want to know what God's love is like, study Jesus. If you want to know how God is thinking, read the sermons of Jesus Christ. If you want to know about the wrath of God, look at the anger of the Son of Man, especially in the temple when the money changers were thrown out. If you want to know any facet of God's character, anything about God personally, study Jesus. Jesus, who is God the Son, is God's gift to us to reveal to us what he is like. Now, we will never know fully what God is like, even when we get to heaven. God is unknowable in his entirety. If we could know everything about God, we'd be his equal. 
But God has revealed to us so much more about himself than we have ever been willing to accept. So in the same way that God is revealed to us through Jesus Christ, God has put that burden on us. How does the world see God? They see God through Jesus Christ. Well, how do they see Jesus Christ? They see Jesus Christ through us. They don't know him. They're going to see his impact upon your life. They're going to see his godliness in your life, and they're going to say, that person's different. And of course, whenever that happens, the Bible says we're always to be ready to give an answer to those who ask us about our faith. You say, well, I'm different, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done in my life. So I don't know if you're getting where I'm going, but this whole business of being a Christian is just as Jesus Christ reveals God to us, God has put the responsibility on us to reveal Jesus Christ to others. We're to be like Christ. That's what it means to be godly. So that others will see God in our lives. Amen? Well, we have to immerse ourselves in all things Jesus. We have to read all we can about Jesus in the Gospels. That's where you're going to learn about him. We have to keep reading his word throughout our lives. We have to study how he walked and how he talked and how he spoke And there's this question that was so popular a few years ago. We have to actually ask this question. What would Jesus do? We find ourselves in situations that doesn't seem like there's any relatively easy answer. But that's not a bad question to ask. If Jesus were in this situation, knowing what I know about him, what would he do? If we really asked that question, honestly, a lot of things would change in our lives. Isn't that true? Because we do a lot of things that Jesus would never think of doing. So... The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Christ suffered for us. Now watch this. Leaving us an example. How do we know about Christ? He's, he suffered and died for us and he left us an example. And it says he did that so that we should follow his steps. How do I become like God? Well, I can't become like God the Father in the sense that I don't know how to do that. But God the Father has given me this wonderful picture of himself in Jesus Christ. So if I want to become like God, I have to study how I can become like Christ. So godliness literally becomes Christ-likeness. And when you study what Christ is like, what you discover is, wow, there's some territory to be taken right there for all of us. There's one paragraph in particular in 1 Peter that has three things I want to share with you about what it means to be like Christ, and what it means to follow him, and what it means to develop this desire for godliness in your life. I want to read this to you, and it's a little bit wordy. Don't get lost. I'll come back, and we'll unpack it. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works that they are able to observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, as we unpack this paragraph, I want to first of all talk about how we examine our own identity before God, and that's where it starts. In 1 Peter 2.9, God tells us something about ourselves that I think needs to be repeated often in this culture in which there isn't a whole lot of 
self-confidence on the part of a lot of people. Listen to this. If you're a Christian today, don't ever forget this. God tells you that you are his possession. He says you are his own special person. God created you as his own special person. The Bible says you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And you don't have any right to go around with your head down and badmouth yourself. If you're a Christian, you are a Christian because you are God's special person. He created you. You're unique from everybody else. You have a special purpose. God put you here for this reason. And when you find out what that purpose is, then you can start to really live. But you can't go along as a Christian and have what some people call worm theology. You know, I'm just a worm. No, you're not. You're the creature of God, and you are his special person. Basketball great LeBron James used an unlikely word about the first time he ever met Michael Jordan. He said it was godly. I've said that ever and over before, but it was like meeting God for the first time. He said that's what I felt like as a 16-year-old boy when I met MJ. Now, it could be exciting to meet somebody, especially if that person is your hero. But godliness only begins when we truly meet God himself through Jesus Christ. Meeting another human being who's like us, that might be cool, but you will never understand what godliness is until you stand in awe of Almighty God and you meet him through the person of Jesus Christ. So I just can't get over the power behind Peter's phrase. Peter calls us as Christians God's own special people. And let me tell you, Peter wasn't writing to a group of elite people. These letters from Peter were written to scattered believers, many of whom had come out of Judaism, and they were suffering greatly for their faith. Many of them had lost everything they owned. Some of them were slaves. Many of them were illiterate. Some of them were sick and elderly. But Peter said to them, no, you are special. You are the most special people on the earth. It isn't the imperial and the elite who are special. It's you. You are God's special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. This lesson was great help to a lady I read about named Janet McHenry. She speaks to women's groups across the nation. And she kind of identifies with this message. She said, I never felt special. I wasn't the smartest kid in the class. There was always somebody smarter than me. I wasn't the most athletic. I was involved in one swim contest and I got third out of three she said, I never thought I was attractive. To matter in this world, I took on a leadership role to earn everybody's respect. And when I was a senior in high school, I ran for and I won six offices, including senior class secretary. She said, I thought I'd make my mark by doing things since I couldn't be what everybody else was. I would just show up by all the stuff I could do. But she said, two years after I graduated from high school, Somebody told her she could have a personal relationship with Jesus. And this is something totally new. She said, he wanted a relationship with me. Like the Israelites, I learned this truth. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his treasured possession. She said, the effect on me was overwhelming. She says, I'm treasured. God values me. God wants a relationship with me. He wants to delight me, to inspire me and fulfill me and walk with me day by day. 
And in the years since that moment, when she met Jesus, she's been telling people everywhere she goes, you are the treasured possession too. If you're trying to find your worth in doing things or winning things or being prettiest, smartest, most athletic, stop it! Because Jesus loves you. That's the most important thing about yourself you will ever know. Amen? So, here's the first clue to developing godliness in your life, Christ-likeness in your life. Just remember this. You are God's possession. He created you for a purpose. You belong to him. You are very important. Number two, not only are you God's possession, but you're God's pilgrim. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. One of Peter's greatest concepts was this idea of being a traveler down here. This wasn't original to him. I mean, this is in the Old Testament several times where people are called pilgrims. It's not a John Wayne expression. You know, John had that pilgrim thing he did. (laughs) But this means that you and I, we don't really belong here. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. We're sojourners. That's what it says. We're strangers. And there's something really special about that. To Christians who were scattered by persecution and were traveling to heaven, Peter in verse 11 says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. In other words, don't take on the characteristics of the environment where you are. We don't belong here. Listen to me, I'm going to give you a statement that somebody told me some years ago. I never forgot. I wrote it in my Bible. Listen to this. We're not citizens of earth going to heaven. We're citizens of heaven passing through the earth. What a difference that makes when you think about that. Let me tell you a little story. By the grace of God, Don and I have had the opportunity to travel many places in the world. And I preached in the Calvary Temple in Hyderabad, India. Just for reference, on Easter Sunday, they had 500,000 people in church. But the week I was there was kind of a down Sunday. I preached five times, starting at 5.30 in the morning, all the way through to 6.30 that night. And I preached to over 200,000 people in one day. There's a kind of funny after story to that because the pastor there is a guy named Satish Kumar and he's become a friend of mine. So on one day in a weak moment, I said, well, Satish, when are you going to come and preach in my church? He did. He came and preached in my church the Sunday after he had had 500,000 in his church. I was so embarrassed. I finally called him and I said, Satish, this is going to be like teaching a Sunday school class for you. But he came and he was great. We had a wonderful time. You know, Hyderabad, India is a long ways away. Many, many hours between San Diego and Hyderabad. Every couple of years we go to Jerusalem. We go to Israel. We've recently been in Switzerland and different places. But I have this little thing I do, and my wife drives her nuts. I never change the time on my watch. I never do. I used to get so confused, and so now I figured out, the only time I really, really care about is what time is it in San Diego? (laughs) And I don't want to ever forget that. So I have, for years, I've never changed my watch. I think that's what we're being told in this passage. Just remember, you're on this earth, but keep your watch on heaven time. Keep your watch on the place where you're going to go. Amen. Well, we have more of this tomorrow on the Tuesday edition of Turning Point. 
before we say our final goodbye, let me tell you about another very special book opportunity. Uh, during the Christmas season this year, we published a book called Seasons of Joy, and it was a special reader, a 25-day reader to prepare you for Christmas. That book was very popular. As I've told you in the past, we had a very special opportunity for you to buy one or buy four. If you bought four, you could give them to your friends, and we had more orders for four than we had for one. I wouldn't be surprised if the same will be true for this book, Seasons of Hope, A Celebration of Easter, a 25-day reader to get you ready for Resurrection Day. It's filled with all kinds of wonderful stories and illustrations and scriptures and applications. I hope that you will take advantage of the opportunity. Go to our website, davidjeremiah.org. There you will find all the information you need to have to get this book. I hope you will order it. And then whatever you do, don't forget to be with us tomorrow as we conclude our discussion of what it means to have Christ-like character. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Everything You Need, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book, The Mediterranean Sea Rules, 10 God-Given Strategies for Moving Forward. This helpful resource is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Everything You Need, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. Focus your heart on the hope of the resurrection with Dr. David Jeremiah's classic book called Season of Hope, A Celebration of Easter. You'll receive this timeless work when you make a donation of any amount to Turning Point. And when you give $100 or more, you'll receive a special four-pack so you can share Season of Hope with friends who need encouragement. Request your books and learn more when you visit davidjeremiah.ca. I have heard it said that the most noble way for a man to be right is for a man to admit when he is wrong. That's a tough call for any of us. Nobody likes to say, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? Our pride, oh, it's our biggest enemy. The word confess in the New Testament is interesting. 
It literally means to say the same as. So when we confess our sins to God, we're agreeing with Him about the fact that we were wrong. Now that doesn't make it easy, but it does mean He already knows what we did and He is ready to forgive. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's forgiveness on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.